As we are resuming 2 Corinthians uh, series, in our studies, we've seen Apostle Paul's dilemma. The church that he founded in Corinth was drifting away from the true gospel, and mainly because, uh, well, I, I should say, not only their culture that is so secular and so similar to the Californian culture, the very pleasure-oriented um, culture, but also these itinerary teachers, false apostles who are bragging about their strength and power and abilities. And they were attacking Paul, criticizing Paul. So in previous chapter, chapter 11, and in including today's chapter, the beginning of today's chapter, Paul is forced to engage in some foolish boasting to refute what the, the, the false apostles are saying. The quick overview of today's passage, verse 1 through 10 in chapter 12, <clears throat> the key idea that, that they were swayed by was triumphalism, or should we say triumphalistic spirituality. The easiest way to understand triumphalistic spirituality is prosperity gospel. If you believe in Jesus, you will have power and you will have wealth and you will have uh, health. And if you do your part in believing and trusting and claiming, nothing will go wrong. Everything will be going bigger and growing. So this triumphalistic spirituality, they shamelessly bragged about their rights and their pedigree and their um, recommendation letters and their accomplishments, their aesthetic, supernatural, transcendent experiences. So, gee, I'm more spiritual. But Paul, he can't even speak well and publicly. Well, he wasn't one of the 12. Maybe he's not really a true, true apostle. That was going on. And secondly, the false, Paul calls, him, calls them super apostles, superlative apostles, were not only boastful about their pedigrees and experiences, but also critical about Paul's credentials for apostleship. So everything looked very lame from their point of view. Because a triumphalistic Spirituality, who is a spiritually powerful leader, who has one who has a charisma, one who demands to a point that Corinthian Christians were treated badly because of their dominance and their overuse of their spiritual authority. But Paul was always meek. And they even um, 
put a big question mark of Paul's best intention to not to receive any financial support for his ministry. And they said, you know what? The collection that, he, that he's doing is actually much more than if you are supporting him on a regular basis. Maybe he has an ulterior motive. Things like that was going on. <clears throat> and thirdly, as Paul was forced to engage in some foolish boasting, he started with about his lineage as well, how he's Hebrew of Hebrews. But then he quickly resorted to boasting about his suffering. Instead of his accomplishments, how many churches that he planted, this is very familiar to our uh, today's standard. Uh, how many converts he had, how many celebrities and religious, I mean political leaders came to know Christ through him. Instead of all that, he was sharing about his suffering, how many beatings that he got, how many shipwrecks that he got. And there was a point of that. Paul was reluctant about this boasting. He resented the idea about he was forced to boast, but then yet to refute in what the apostle, false apostles are doing is they are swaying you to, to away from the true gospel. And today it's no different. He's actually doing going one more foolish boasting. And he, that, he takes that and turns into the boasting about weakness as well. Here's the point. I want you to pay attention to this. In all this, we get to find out what the true spirituality and truly spiritual, spiritually mature person looks like. The false apostles presented a picture and we see that on TV all the time. We see even all across the nation of America to see this kind of picture of powerful man of God, healer, and through the big churches and big crusades, all things are going on. Paul, in his own life, he reveals the true spirituality in a very subtle way. But it is so clear. So I, I, I'd like us to pay attention to what are the marks of true spirituality and true spiritual maturity in Apostle Paul? Sadly, I have to confess, as a, as a pastor, this should be common knowledge and understanding because the word of, word of God says so. And all across our churches in America. But sadly, many of churches disregard this principle. 
And for us to retain saltiness, what Jesus said, you are the salty of the earth, is capture and grasp and retain this radical difference. The question that we're asking is, what are four marks of true spirituality and maturity in the Apostle Paul? And here's number one. Mark number one, before I say it, I think we need to read the text first for this one. Verse one, I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Verse 7, so to, speak, so to keep, me, keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Kind of first glance of it, it is a strange way of sharing a story. Paul says, I must go on, but there's nothing to gain from it. He is such a reluctant person right now. So reluctant, even though this was his supernatural experiences, one of the, the <coughs> most important experiences, he kept to himself for 14 years. And he puts in a third person as if he's sharing about another person's experience. But in actuality, it is him. Why is he doing that? Maybe just a couple of reasons. He is just uncomfortable about doing this. Embarrassed to even boast about this. So he puts it probably in a third person. The second of all, he even mentions it. He doesn't want any of these Corinthian seekers, spiritually seeking people who were going after one supernatural experience to another, to think of him in a different light because of this experience. 14 years ago was before first missionary journey. Maybe he was in Tarsus 
or in Antioch. He was not mere, uh, he was merely having trans, uh, converted and there was a, some desert moment and Christ Jesus, risen, risen Christ showed up and revealed the things. That's why he became the apostle, sent one. He directly received the revelation from Christ. And he says, I was caught up into a third heaven. In Jewish common knowledge understanding, there are three levels of heaven. The first level of heaven is our atmosphere, sky. And the beyond that is the second where the stars are universe in a way. The third level is a spiritual realm where God abides. And it's all also called paradise. When Jesus on the cross, you will shall be in paradise with me tonight. That third heaven. In the presence of God. And notice that he shares this story very carefully. He, he says, I heard things that not, they cannot be told. I, I am not allowed to share these things freely. Nor I can I share these incredible things in the human language. We saw Ezekiel doing that, talking about will. Talk, the, the Apostle John in Revelations, the symbolic things were used to describe the most glorious things that he saw. Even then, it was difficult. Paul's case, he see that is a simple obedience to, this, to God who forbid him to share anything. Number two, has nothing to benefit others other than curiosity. Think about this. How many of you know the past uh, decade or two a book about heaven. I went to heaven for a few, few, few hours and came back. The heaven I saw, or, or, or even about this boy, one of them found out is such a con man, everything came out. But near-death experience, and I went to heaven, I told a story that became a bestseller, and that speaker was going around the circle speaking about his experience. Paul, if he spoke about experience 14 years ago, he could be accepted by everyone, popularity-wise. But he rather take this to share about his weaknesses, brag, boast about his weakness. It says, a thorn in the flesh is given. I think I wasted hours of searching for commentaries who have some authoritative saying about what this thorn was. I should not have. I, because basically, they don't know. Scholars don't know. We don't know. 
There is a wisdom for that. I mean, some people will say, well, most likely something to his eyesight. In Galatians, Galatians he will say, notice the large letter I'm writing in terms of in, in, instead of dictate, dictating his letter to somebody who's writing. So he probably has an eye problem. Some other uh, people throughout the Christian history, church history, that epilepsy. Spurgeon was known for that. Oh, what a beautiful epilepsy. All the people in London ha will have this kind of epilepsy. <laughs> but the back to the wisdom. I think the spirit who is the author of this holy scripture kept it secret, kept it unknown, so that every single one of us can apply. There is some thorn in our lives will not go away. Why was that? There are two aspects of it. Remember that you know, eruption or convergence of two white water making the water ruptured with white water? the good things and bad things. The one, he says, a messenger of Satan. Oh, this suffering, this thorn, was not sent by God. So lest we think that some, somebody's sickness, our kids, severe sickness of fever or swelling and pain or developmental issues are not sent by God. But Satan gives us to tempt us, to doubt about God, to make us cynical and disillusioned about God. Obviously, there's a danger for that. But sovereign God allows it. And Job's case was that, right? Allows it. Why? Because in his sovereign wisdom, he sees that it is actually good for us. He loves us to enough to hurt us, allow Satan to hurt us to a certain degree. What was the purpose? To keep Apostle Paul from being conceited. Oh, I think there's a truth in that. Because when, when you experience the heaven yourself, presence of God, and incredible things, the, such a benefit for Paul was as he was going through the suffering, as he was going through persecution, the reality of heaven kept his faith strong for his own good. But think about implication, how that experience will make a fallen heart. Obviously, maybe something I, I'm special. Maybe I'm, I'm chosen in a different way because God needs me. The pride, subtle pride. God says, this will keep you humble. You need this. So the first point that I'm going to make 
the first mark of true spirituality and true spiritual maturity we see in Paul is rather a subtle one. Obvious, but in a subtle one. Mark number one is being honest and real to God in childlike way with our pain and suffering that keeps us weak and humble. Or if you are really spiritual, if you are really faithful person, maybe the false apostles will say things like this. You will not even ask God to take that away. You said, I could handle it, God. Bring it on. Who, who was the example Apostle Paul was following? Lord Jesus himself. He was perfect man, but perfect God. But he went to Gethsemane the night before he was crucified and he sweated like a blood dropping. And he pleaded with the Father to take this cup of suffering away from him three times. And each time he was submit. God's sovereignty, but not my will, but your will be done. Maybe Paul remembered that's why he pleaded three times. He wasn't po posing it. He wasn't doing this out of you know right manner to God. He really did wanted this pain and suffering and thorn go away. Two things, let's, let's make it very clear. Two things that he did not do. One, denying his pain. I'm fine. I'm doing really well. Or your, your son's really sickly. Or praise God, I'm, hallelujah, I'm doing better than ever. That's a, that's a lie. Christians should not lie. The second thing is a demanding God be pure. God, you've got to take this away. Haven't I suffered enough for you? I went to remotest world places and I got beatings and scourging because of you, your gospel. You owe it to me. But in a childlike way, Lord, I really cannot handle this. Would you, in your mercy, take this away? Second time I'm asking you, Lord, this hurts too much for my child. Take this away. For my parents, for my uncle, for my brother. That's true spirituality spiritually mature person knows confess our weakness our hurts and pain and cling to God God forbid that happens something happens to your, your family don't act like you could handle it on I don't want to burden others 
I think what Tuang and Irina did for us is it gave us opportunity to share our heart, our fervent prayer, and our hearts were engaged. I hurt because I saw James hurting, crying. That's what spiritual person would do. Johnny Erickson Tada, you know who that is? She was about 16. She had a diving accident. So her neck down was paralyzed. The next 60-some years, she's in 60-some, I guess 50-some years, she's, she's in mid-60 now, became a most powerful Christian minister who shares about hope. She's still handicapped, still in wheelchair, still has to draw things with her mouth. But I still remember my college years, uh, she was on radio, Johnny and Friends. Just 15 minute devotion that she does. Incredible insights. She says this, deny your weakness and you will never realize God's strength in you. Mark number two of spiritual, true spirituality and maturity we see in Apostle Paul is this, trustingly submitting to God's sovereignty. Trustingly submitting to sovereign God whose grace is sufficient for us even in our pain and suffering. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my gracious, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. What, what is Apostle Paul doing here? He's learning to surrender and submit to God's sovereign control over his life. Does he know why God's grace is sufficient for him in every detail? No. Some of us will not even know full answer until we get to heaven. But lots of it is really simple trust and surrender. And God is saying, my gracious, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough for you. Paul had to learn this secret. It is actually um, radically different road that Paul is taking as opposed to the super apostles striving for their own strength. And he is taking the Calvary road that Jesus took, that he feels humiliated, that he feels weak, utterly weak. 
But in that weakness, he sees God's power working. My grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in you. My power works best. It becomes strongest when you are weak. Now this is a, obviously paradox. And no one in right mind, in the secular mind, want to embrace this. You go to self-help books and self-help seminar. You go to TED Talks. Some of the new age things will say this. Very similar one, but there is a slight difference which makes a whole lot of difference. You need to actually learn to uh, accept your weakness so that that acceptance will make you strong. So when you are weak and you, you embrace your weakness and you will become strong, you are the one who's strong. That's not what Apostle Paul is saying. When you are weak, when you are not in the way of Spirit's power, God's power is revealed, perfect here, strongest here, most powerful here. So that's why the person who is weak and being used by God is selfless. He or she is not trying to be humble. He is forgetful about himself or herself because God's power is revealed. Everybody could see the power of Jesus, supernatural. We know that person is not like that, natural strength. The good news is this applies to every single one of us, including our youth. Listen to me. The world will tell you, believe in yourself and you're strong and you become, you work on your strength and work on your talents and work on your things, then you will make difference, make a difference in the world. That's the message you get. That's a triumphalism in a way. But what Jesus has done is actually he submitted to God the Father through humiliating Calvary Road. He took the cross that represents death. And for us to take the cross is the dying to self, our prideful, stiff-necked eye. I wonder if we've learned this lesson. I, w I wonder we are learning this lesson better this year. In weaknesses in trial, God's grace is enough for you. Do you believe that? Paul David Tripp, uh, we went through his parenting seminar via online, remember that? 
He writes, remember it is not your weakness that will get in the way of God's working through you, but your delusions of strength. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. Point to his strength by being willing to admit your weakness. Here's mark number three. Gladly boasting of our weaknesses for the sake of Christ so that the power of Christ may rest upon us. This is really the climax of this passage. Listen, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Would you observe this very crucial point? He is not half-heartedly, okay, I guess I have to submit to the sovereignty of God. Oh, this sucks, but I'm going to obey. Otherwise, the, bad, the worst thing can happen to me. No, he goes, this is thrilled boast I have. If I could become used by God, I could boast about my weaknesses. Perspective, paradigm shift happens here. I used to think that insult comes, oh, this is bad things. I need to get away from insults. If hardships come, how can I make my life easier? How can I get out of this problem? Persecution comes, oh, I need to stand up for my rights. Calamities come, oh, God. Protect my family, my, my kids, my, fa- my extended family, my friends, my church. Apostle Paul is saying, this gives me an opportunity to experience God in a vivid way. God's power will be revealed in me and through me. This is an open secret. In terms of spectrum of spiritual maturity, and I could say this, um, this is a new concept to me. I learned it when I was younger, but more and more I'm convinced this is a true reality of my life. And I, I ought to live with this kind of mindset. And the question is, am I having this posture and attitude to embrace hardships and trials with pure joy, consider it pure joy, welcome it, and see what God is doing in the midst of Satan's snare and Satan's attack, Satan's trying to discourage me, especially when we are doing this as a church, when you are doing this for the sake of gospel, for Christ, all the more it becomes truer. 
And Paul has been expounding on this over and over. I, there's actually more passages, but let me allow me to share just two, two previous passages. Chapter 1, verse 8 to 9, Paul says, For we, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, for the affliction we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received a sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. The dead. And I bet Tuang and Irina felt this this past week. They cannot rely on their own strength but rely on God. Chapter 4, verse 7 through 12, but we have this treasure in the jar, in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, Persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we do live, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life is in you. In light of what I just shared in Mark number three, listen to what's happening at our church. We already talked about James's pain and swelling. Um, and Titus high fever for over 10 days. Our own Stan, Stan and Jamie Stan, during his PE class, his teaching PE, he not knee got popped out. Uh, he's at home with crutch. And Jamie, who is supposed to lead this teacher's appreciation Announcement for next Sunday. Hurt both kids are had a flu and went to ER and went to that. So they're staying home. Chung Mi was supposed to be actually the one who's making announcement at the end of tonight today's service. Chung Mi's kid got sick and sh they're staying home. Other Spiritual attacks and marital conflicts and relationships conflicts. That includes me as well. And our church being stuck with no options for now. The option that became encouragement a little bit for us. But there's, I don't know how it, this will come out to be at the end of the tunnel what will look like. There's so many obstacles there. 
I feel embarrassed. I was reluctant. But in light of today's message, in principle wise, I need to share this. Maybe not all of you, most of you know about my twitching. I finally went to the doctor several months ago. Find out it was actually hemifacial spasm. He's, my neurologist sent me to MRI three times. One MRI, one MRI with contrast and brain MRA. I think he's looking at the vessels. The good thing was, I felt vindicated a little bit, because I, you know, as a pastor, I should not carry anxiety and stress, and I, I was awfully worried about looking stressed, and made, which made me stressed even more, and i twitching like this. And he goes, your stress and your worries or your ang whatever that is, caffeine, all that do not cause this. It's your nerve. And then he goes, uh, there is some muscle relaxer medicine you could take, but it doesn't do any, any good lo in the long run. It's expensive, but treatment, best treatment and remedy for you is Botox. And I go, you mean Botox? Hollywood celebrity and rich person's Botox? Yes. I have a high deductible in my insurance. I don't think they will even approve to get through the MRI. I had to wait for several weeks going through that. And I, on top of that, my de deductible was incredibly high. And Botox, and he goes, um, I cannot guarantee it, but if you get every three months for one year, it may go away. I don't like it. <laughs> I feel embarrassed even to, on that day, he goes, lie down. Like, what, what are you gonna do? I'm gonna give you Botox right now. So if you look at me right here, I got Botox shot, so I'm still feeling muscle tension, but there is no movement, which is beautiful. <laughs> But I was reminded today, instead of complaining, Paul, do you see that my grace is sufficient for you? You know, you, you feel embarrassed and you feel weak, but you know my power is made perfect in your weakness? Number four and final, I need to rush this a little bit. Knowing that, <coughs> knowing all this, important mark, number four is knowing and experiencing in real life that when we are weak, then we are strong. See, Apostle Paul's idea of this spiritual principle of power in weakness was not a concept. It was everyday principle that he experienced. That's why he was radically different and powerful. And we too become radically different and powerful Christians. Do we believe that? When I am weak, 
then I am strong. In some sense, when I feel so comfortable and so full of self-confidence, when I am strong, actually I am very, very weak, vulnerable to Satan's attack. Andrew Murray writes this, and it's something that is encouraging for us to remember. He writes, Do not strive in your own strength. Cast yourself at the feet of Lord Jesus and wait upon him in the sure confidence that he is with you and works in you. Strive in prayer. Let your faith fill your heart so you will be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Brothers and sisters, this is what I believe. All these spiritual battle attacks that we're happening in our church is because we are gearing up, because we are in the fasting and prayer chain. Do not be afraid, young people, because if we stay on course and if we continually embrace God's sovereign care who is which is sufficient for us, we will experience breakthrough. We will experience God's power, fresh experience of God's power. The mercy, the new wind of the Spirit will blow all across crossway. In your home, you will experience it. In your men's group and women's group and home group, you will experience it. Lest we think that, okay, I, I got it, we move on. Could you allow me be just redundant to recap and have the final thoughts on true spirituality and maturity? What is true spirituality? In other words, who is spiritually true, truly spiritually mature person? It is not in external strength, personality, pe pedigree, giftedness, experiences, and accomplishments. It is rather in the work of the Holy Spirit to the degree in how we rely not on ourselves, but on Spirit's power. And therefore, here's a full recap. We become truly spiritually more mature, one, when we submit to God's sovereign grace in our lives, trusting that God's grace is sufficient for us, even in suffering that keeps us weak. Number two, we become truly spiritually mature, more mature when we desire, when we learn to be content with our weaknesses and difficult trials. Number three, when we desire utterly for Christ's power to rest upon us as a way of life. 
And number four, when we know and experience God's power working in our weaknesses. How about you? In what ways are you growing spiritually these days? In what ways is God speaking to your heart right now about those four things? Just bow your head with me.